Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Where do I belong? Growing up as a young woman of color in America, I've never really felt like I belonged because left and right, people are telling me I don't. The posts on Instagram remind me that the color of my skin separates me in more ways than I can count from the rest of my white friends. And the daily reminders that women have to work twice as hard as men to succeed. I live in the racist and sexist America that we all know far too well. So belonging in this America has never been one of my priorities. My priority has always been being heard despite my gender and seen despite my race. One of my passions since starting high school has been youth in government. It's a YMCA club and organization that hosts a mock legislature with youth from around Minnesota taking the role as legislators and lobbyists. When I heard about the club, I was immediately intrigued. I thought, this is the place where I will belong. This is the place where I will be seen. Government and democracy are meant to represent everyone, a place where everyone can be heard. After all, I have so many people of color in government, particularly women of color, to look up to. The first president I can remember is Barack Obama. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar are huge inspirations. I see their voices being heard every day when I check Instagram. So I figured that's what the Youth in Government Conference would be like. I got to the conference on the first day and was so excited. This was the place I had been looking for, the place where I could truly belong. But when I got there, I immediately felt alienated and alone. I was surrounded by rich, white, suburban kids who clearly had the most control and power in the mock government. Turns out, mock government is surprisingly similar to the real U.S. government. <laughs> the white and wealthy have the most power? Check. People of color having to work twice as hard to belong and have their voices heard? Check. Model assembly wasn't really the utopia of acceptance and belonging I thought it would be. I didn't belong and it sucked. So it seems like a paradox. Belonging is something you get the hang of as you get older, but I think you only get the hang of it as you learn where you belong. And speaking of belonging, active prayer and deepening my relationship with God have been my way of working through the question of belonging. I feel safe when I pray. I feel heard when I pray. My nightly prayer practice is a place where I can process my edges of belonging, 
prayer gave me a place to process the questions and I guess I still don't have the solutions, but at least now I have a way to make sense of the question of belonging. And that's a step in the right direction. Come, let us worship together. So what an amazing piece. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for all of the energy that's coming into this space this morning and for the music that has been so intentionally chosen, right? John Coltrane, Billie Holiday, Thelonious Monk, all musicians who lived on the edge of belonging all in this space with us today. And as we were preparing for this Sunday, I was reading up a little bit on Thelonious Monk, and there's this image of him that I read about that I loved. He's this African-American jazz musician who absolutely changed the genre, who lit up the stages in New York and Europe. And what I read was that if he was playing with a band and he really loved what was happening, and he was really getting into it, there would be these moments where he would actually stop playing and stand up and dance for a minute or two and just really enjoy it. And then he'd sit back down and get back into the groove with everybody. And I was like, what confidence and joy that would take, right? To be able to just stand up in the middle of it and be in it. And I hope for him that in those moments of playing and being a part of that he felt like he belonged. Because I wonder, in this America, in this racist and sexist America we heard about and we know, if he ever felt like he belonged really here in this country. I know that police pulled him and his friends over again and again. There are stories about him getting pulled over by the cops and refusing to cooperate. Just, and by refuse to cooperate, I mean not answer their questions, which are... Uh, not questioning anything that's actually accurate. So he would refuse to answer their questions and there were times when he was beaten for this. There was a time when the cops decided that since he wasn't cooperating, they'd take his New York City cabaret card, which was his pass into the clubs, his way of making a living for himself and his family. I know that he encountered all of this and he did his best to hold on to the truth about who he was in the midst of all of it. So he has a legacy that he has offered. And I think that by publicly being who he was, by holding true to that, he opened up some space for us and for others as well. And I want to talk a little bit about opening up that space for each other this morning. So this week, on this rainy, gloomy week, I made my way over to the Minneapolis Institute of Art, feeling incredibly grateful for the admission and the beauty in this gloomy week. And I went up to the third floor and I spent some time first with these photos and textiles and paintings in an exhibit called Mapping Black Identity. I went in there, I was actually searching for something else, but I was grateful I found this too. And I saw the old Black is Beautiful posters and I saw this gorgeous textile that was made as a thank you to Paul Robeson, the actor and activist and singer. I saw this stunning photograph of a black woman who was clearly in her own power, clearly choosing her pose and what she was wearing. 
and I let the beauty and the strength of those pieces seep into me. They were countering what we so often see here in America of images of black folks and black women in particular. So I let all that sink in and then I kept going, searching for the photos that I was there to see, photos from our very own church member, Meadow Muska, and her exhibit, Strong Women Full of Love. Now in this exhibit, Meadow has documented women loving women in the 1970s and 80s. They were pushing back against the stereotypes of the time. She portrayed lesbians as they were in actual life, strong, beautiful, full of love and joy and power. In the photos, they're doing ordinary and extraordinary things, taking a stand against violence against women. They're there building a safe home. They're doing all the things that we do. And it's important to know that in that time, and still in this time too, but even more so then, being known as a lesbian was a significant danger for folks, right? You could lose your housing, you could lose your job, you could lose your kids if people knew who you really were. So building up trust was absolutely essential. So Meadow didn't just send her photos out to be delivered, she made a space in her basement where she could develop them so no one else would see who was in the pictures. So looking at those pictures this week, I was filled with gratitude. Gratitude for Meadows' conscious and conscientious capturing of that time and those people. It was a time when homosexuality was seen as a form of deviance, and here were pictures of women playing with their dogs, building houses, being part of stable and inclusive and loving community. These pictures offered a mirror and a window, a mirror of what was possible, what was good for gay and lesbian folks, a mirror back saying things could be different, could be good for you, even when the culture was busy shouting its bad advice at us. So I know that for me, part of why these pictures meant as much as they did was because as a young lesbian coming out in the early 90s, I had never seen any photos like this. I'd never seen anything like this. I didn't know what was possible for myself and for other gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender folks. What I knew was what was happening inside my school, my high school, where there were three of us that I knew of that identified as lesbian, one of whom got sent away forever. I don't know where she went. One of them got run over by a car outside the only gay bar in the city that we knew of. And then there was me. So I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> it was clear that it wasn't safe to let people know who we really were. It was clear that we didn't belong. So when I headed off to college, I didn't really expect to fit in there either, but it was for different reasons. See, I was a 17-year-old kid heading off to an elite women's college on a full scholarship. I had rarely ever left my hometown, and I spent my free time working and doing homework and rebuilding my classic, beloved 1968 Chevy 2 Nova. It was gorgeous. And let me just say, it was not the car the other women drove at the college I attended. <laughs> Cherry red, black top, gorgeous car. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I wasn't exactly sure what I was gonna talk about with the women there at college at the afternoon teas and the candlelight dinners. I wasn't sure what we were gonna have in common. So I took some comfort knowing that even as I was headed off to the school, I would probably spend a lot more time working in the kitchen than actually sitting in the dining hall, and that made me feel like I was gonna be just fine. 
So I was surprised on the day that I arrived at college that I might belong here after all. I was walking down the hallway of the house that I'd been assigned to live in, and I passed by the room of a senior classmate. It was clear immediately that she was, in fact, the president of the Lesbian Bisexual Association at Smith College. Her door was plastered with photos, pictures of women kissing other women, all these postcards about ACT UP and how we could support our, our gay siblings who were dying of AIDS, all of these positive messages about what it meant to be gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender. I had never seen anything like this. And I'll tell you, my parents did a definite double take as they walked by that door. They were helping me carry in this set of matching luggage I had purchased for this occasion of leaving home. It was a little later in the day that I actually caught my mom with her 35 millimeter camera taking pictures of my new neighbor's door. I think she wanted to examine it further. <laughs> so it was there that I learned that there were other people who lived out and proud and unafraid. Other people who were lesbian and bisexual, gay and transgender and gender nonconforming, who could feel the truth of who they were and who they loved. They were the ones who told me the stories of our history. I didn't know it existed. They showed me the pictures of people who had been brave enough to sit for those photos, to take those photos. They showed me that survival and strength was my birthright. So I learned in those early days of college that it absolutely matters to see people that look like you, to see people that love like you, that live out and proud, their values shot through in their living. Whether these folks are exactly like us or not, whether we share those particular identities or not, seeing that pride and integrity and authenticity can show us the way to being more fully who we are. This past summer, when the award-winning author Toni Morrison died and joined the ancestors, people all over the country and all over the world mourned her passing. The author, S.A. Adujan, said, for me and so many others, Toni Morrison was that first crack in the levee, the one who freed the truth about black lives, sending it rushing out into the world. She showed us the beauty in being our full selves, the necessity of embracing our complications and contradictions. And she didn't just give us permission to share our own stories, as he said, she underlined our responsibility to do so. She showed how incomplete the world's narrative was without ours in it. Through her characters, I know Morrison provide, did both a window and a mirror. A mirror for black women to see themselves and their families in, a window for others to begin to understand their lives and to ask themselves the universal questions that Toni Morrison raised for all of us. It matters. Seeing yourself reflected back in photographs, in paintings, in art, in music, in literature, in stories. It matters to see yourself reflected back in leadership, in religious leadership. It matters, it says that you belong, your stories matter, you are important, and whatever stereotypes you've been sold about who you are and who other people are, well, there is something more that is true too, something beautiful, something valuable in each and every one of us. This faith of ours it has room for all of us, room for all of who we are, 
Sad and scarred and grieving, newly recovering, celebrating, learning. This place has room for all of us and we are all invited in with the fullness of who we are exactly as we are. Earlier this morning, Satya shared her truth that in this racist and sexist America, belonging has not been one of her priorities. So much wisdom in that statement, right? What club do you want to be a part of? Just recently, I was talking with a friend who was sharing this experience that they had over the summer. They'd gone off on vacation with their family, off with their siblings and their siblings' spouses, and they traveled to this gorgeous spot, and they've done this for many summers together as a family. And there, my friend realized that this family had never really accepted who they were. This family of theirs made it very difficult to be a part of sometimes. There were harmful stories, harmful secrets, ways that this family didn't take responsibility for the ways that it had hurt them. And my friend said that they realized, I've been spending years trying to be a part of this club that I don't even really want to join. Hmm. I think that when we try to belong to places that are bad for us, places that lie to us about who we are, that don't reflect back our beauty and strength and wholeness, when we take in those outside rules and judgments and limitations that don't fit us, it can be so harmful. Sometimes the desire for belonging, when you break the word down, the longing to be a part of, belonging, that longing to be a part of, that longing can be so intense that we pursue it even at our own damage, even into places that aren't good to us, good for us, even when that club we're trying to be a part of isn't really a club we want to join. So I've been wondering, what club is it that you or I or we have been trying to fit into that we don't actually even want to be a part of? Is it this larger club of American culture that tells us that more is better than less, that some people are more valuable and important than others, that extracting resources and acquiring money is the pinnacle of all existence? Is it this club of our families maybe that constantly critiques or demeans us, that dismisses our experiences and our value in favor of their own comfort? Maybe it's the land of the patriarchy where gender norms and expectations are so powerful as a force that they diminish us all? Is there a club or a culture or a way of thinking that you have been trying to fit into, trying to belong to, that when you dig a little deeper, you don't even really want to join? Here on the edge of belonging, I'm inviting us to cast ourselves out of those clubs that don't really fit us, those clubs that we never wanted to join, really. I'm asking us to take up membership in the places that call out the truth and the best in us, those places that help us feel our belonging to the longer, larger arc of all existence. You see, I believe there is something larger than just this moment, something larger than this constellation of clubs we do and don't want to be a part of. I believe there's something bigger that claims us as its own, that can offer a sense of belonging that tells us we are known, reminding us we have been found all along. In the reading that we heard this morning, 
The poet speaks of that powerful moment that can happen in our lives when we stand in the center of a place that feels like home. When we have this knowledge of who we are, when we claim it, name it, say with power, I own this, I own myself, I own this place, this space, this person that I am. And how as soon as we do this, as soon as we claim our own particularity, in that moment, the birds change their songs, the trees let loose their arms, then the air sucks out of the space, the cliffs fissure and collapse, and another important truth slides in right beside us. This place, this space, even the important particularities of your own unique existence, it tells us, they were never yours alone. The particular and important that just like everyone else, you exist all at the same time, and you have always belonged to us, the larger whole. You have always belonged to the mountains and the oceans, the rivers and the sea. You have always belonged to the stars and the sun, the birds and the sky, the cycle of the ancestors and the baby you will never meet. You belong to all of it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do that takes you outside that circle of belonging. This is the both and I'm inviting us to live into here on the edge of belonging. Who we are as unique individuals matters, and we are part of a larger whole we are never let go of. We are broken and we are whole, we are worthy and wanted, even as we continue to screw up out there and hurt ourselves and hurt each other. We are made of stardust, unique and particular and important, and also just like everyone else. All of this is true. We move in our power when we know exactly who we are, when we know that we are never just our own. We belong to the heavens and the dust and the ancestors. We belong to a spirit of life and a community of faith that will not let us go. I believe we can hold all of this. We can move beyond the either-or thinking that binds us and find our place in complexity and wonder, finding in the stories of others both a mirror and a window to see ourselves and this world more fully. My hope for us, my prayer for us, is that we might let go of our grip on the things that harm us and so many others that we might let go of our membership in the clubs that are killing us and our world, that we might welcome in the truth of who we are, the truth of the trees and the wind and the rocks, the truth that we have always belonged and always will. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.